Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before I start, I want to take a minute to tell you about a new card game my buddy created. This is not a paid advertisement. He sent me a copy of the game, and I thought it was fun, so I thought I'd give a shout-out to his Kickstarter. The game is called Serial Killer, and it's a card game where you match victims to their deaths. If you want to check it out, go to SerialKillerCardGame.com, or go to the Kickstarter page. There's a link in the description of this video. Thanks! On August 1st, 2015, Polk County Sheriff's deputies arrived at a residence on Drainfield Road in Lakeland, Florida. They were responding to a report of multiple missing persons, and they met with a woman named Cheyenne Jesse. Cheyenne told the deputies that the house that they were at was owned by her father, Mark Weekly. She told them that she dropped her six-year-old daughter, Meredith, off at the house to stay with Mark on July 18th. After a few days, Mark sent text messages saying he was dying of cancer and that he was taking Meredith to Georgia to visit family and they weren't coming back. After that, she didn't know where they went. As deputies learned more details about the situation, they realized that her story wasn't adding up. This is Monsters. Cheyenne Jesse was born on August 25, 1989, and grew up in Rossville in North Georgia, just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Her parents were not together, and she initially lived with her mother, but she was removed from her mother's custody when she was four years old. After that, she was placed in the custody of her father, Mark Weekly. She was in some special education classes due to having a slight learning disability, and she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when she was eight years old. In high school, she had a part-time job at the local McDonald's. After graduating from high school, she and Mark moved south and settled in Lakeland, Florida. When Cheyenne was around 20, she got pregnant with her only child. The father, Billy Salisbury, didn't stay in the picture and Cheyenne gave birth to Meredith Jesse on May 26, 2011. Cheyenne struggled as a single mother and was often forced to rely on her family for financial support. 
Meredith was eventually diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder, which is a disorder in a child marked by defiant and disobedient behavior to authority figures. Cheyenne's father, Mark, would spend a lot of time with Meredith, and according to Cheyenne, the young girl seemed to behave more for Mark than she did for her. So on a scale, I know that your daughter has issues, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you classify your, you and your daughter's relationship, 10 being the best? Um, <clears throat> I was trying to make it at least an 8, but she... But realistically, it was five. Because okay. every time I go to hug her, she turns the violence towards me, and I'm like, okay, but when I come home from work and I'm tired, and I say, give me just a little bit, let me calm down from work, and then we can play. I, we, I try to used to take her out to do stuff when I had the money. Um, we used to go see movies sometimes or go to a park, but then she started becoming a little weird when it comes to strangers. Like, she went up to a stranger and shaved him and told her her whole, whatever she knew. If she knew her address, she probably would have told him that. Where was that? Um, that happened at Lowe's when his parents took her with him. So Lowe's while I was at work. Oh, okay. And he was a So his parents know your child, too? Yes. Okay. And how would you classify Matthew's relationship with her daughter on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best? Um, he was trying to make it like a 10, but... Of course, you know, everything to be a 10. Right? Yeah, but he goes, I don't know how to deal with her. I've never really had a kid. Right. Cheyenne began dating a man named Matthew Monroe, who went by Cody. The couple lived in a fifth wheel parked on the property owned by Cody's parents. In the months leading up to the murders, things between Cheyenne and Cody were starting to sour. Cody was growing tired of having to deal with Meredith's behavioral problems. So do you think it's do you think it's better off for your child? Um, you said you, you, he was going to be staying with your dad, or she was going to be staying with your father until maybe school starts. Um, were you gonna, do you think it was better off uh, your daughter staying with him full time for you and your relationship? Do you think that's fair to say? Um, for mine and her relationship, we seem to be like almost at a nine. Who's? When me and my daughter. Okay. When? When she's with my dad. Okay. Because, like, my dad kind of, he can grab on him and some money, so, and mm -hmm. he has some money stashed up, so he can buy her what she wants, when she yeah, wants, <laughs> and he, she listens to his theory. She thinks all adults are stupid, but grandpa. Okay. Did she tell you that? Yeah. She's actually okay. told me I'm So do you think that, having said that, do you think it's better for you and your relationship with Matthew if she's with your dad full time? Um, well, we've actually been able to focus on our relationship instead of constantly looking over our shoulder, what's she going to do next, what's she going to destroy. Right. Um, so it doesn't make y'all's relationship better? Yeah. Okay. We're not in a lot of stress. Does it make you feel better? If she's with your dad because she's better off, I guess. Yeah, I can actually sleep at night. On August 1st, 2015, Cheyenne called the sheriff's department and reported that her father and daughter were missing. She told them that she had dropped Meredith off two weeks prior and Mark had taken her to Georgia. Cheyenne told them that he had asked her to dispose of his belongings. There was no record that Mark had told his landlord that he would be moving out. The situation seemed unusual to the deputies, 
so they asked if they could search the property, and Cheyenne was taken to the sheriff's station with the idea they'd be getting a more detailed report for the missing person's investigation. While she was there, investigators found more troubling discoveries at Mark Weekly's house. The couch had been covered by a sheet, but when they removed it, it had cuts in it and was stained with blood. There was also a strong odor of decomposition in the house, and there were dead flies everywhere. In the interview room at the sheriff's station, Cheyenne began detailing what happened leading up to Mark and Meredith's disappearance. On Friday, July 17th, Cheyenne took Cody to work at an overnight shift at Walmart. Early the next morning, she dropped Meredith off at Mark's house and then went to pick up Cody from work. So you get there, what time, about 6.30 in the morning? Yeah. And you drop him, your dad's away when you get there? Yeah. But when you drop her off, how long do you stay there? Just for like a few minutes, and then I'm like, I have to go get him from work. And my dad's like, says something underneath his breath. I don't know, it sounded like peachy lesson or something. What's that mean? I don't know. Here she starts trying to set it up to look like her father wanted to quote-unquote teach her a lesson. She told the investigators that he complained that she was an unfit mother and that he didn't think she was doing a good job taking care of her daughter. She also said this. You called, tried to come on Sunday, you tried to call him. Yeah. And what was the purpose of calling I just wanted to see... To check up? Yeah. Okay. So I hey, did you give her a medicine? Mm -hmm. I always make sure that I call him and give, ask him if he gives her medicine and everything. Okay. And um, did you talk to him? I, like, it sounded like he went and answered something with Meredith in the background and then... like. So you, the phone rings, something picks up. The phone picks up. Yeah. Right? And he wasn't talking to you, it sounded like he was doing something? Yeah. Okay, what did you hear in the background? Um... I don't know what your mother sees that's wrong with you. Okay. I think my dad's been back talking to me behind my back. My kid, his wife, she's probably also... She had supposedly called him on Sunday, and the phone picked up, but it didn't seem like Mark realized it. She heard him in the background saying that he didn't know what she thought was wrong with Meredith. After picking up Cody from work, they both had Saturday off, so they slept all day. By Monday, Cheyenne said that she didn't call Mark, but she drove by his house and could tell that he wasn't home. After that, Cheyenne claimed that Mark started texting Cody about taking Meredith to Georgia to visit family. He said that he had cancer, only had a year to live, and wanted to spend it with his granddaughter so they weren't coming back. He said that Cheyenne could dispose of his belongings. Cheyenne had a key to the house, so she went there within a few days of receiving those texts and Mark and Meredith were gone. She told investigators that it stunk in the house and that it was because there were dead rats in the kitchen. She said she got rid of the rats and cleaned up to try to reduce the smell. She also said there was rotten ground beef in the sink and that it was full of maggots. She said she threw the rats and the meat away in the garbage outside, but nothing like that was found in the garbage can. She also claimed to have found a dead raccoon under the house. She said she used a pole saw to pull the raccoon out from under the house and then used a pair of tongs to pick it up and throw it into the woods. When the investigator brought up the raccoon again later, Cheyenne said she didn't use the tongs on the raccoon, only the rats. Then that story changed again. 
Was there a raccoon dead or not? Just how hard is yes, that? Yes, there was. There was a dead raccoon in there. Yes. And you picked it up with what? I pulled it out with the long thing. I don't That's know what it's called. It's got a saw on the end of it? Yeah. And then how did you pick it up with that? And I used tongs for it. But you said you used tongs for the, for the rats. Yeah. And then you said, oh, I didn't use the tongs for the raccoon. You see what I'm saying? Uh, it's not hard. It's not hard. I mean, what's what's hard for you is that you're not you're not remembering the lies that you told. Okay, and if if you messed up little stuff, you messed up big stuff. All right. Cheyenne seems to think that she can just claim her father and daughter left and nobody will spend a lot of time looking into it. So when she's asked to give specific details, she has to make up lies on the spot. She can't keep track of all those lies, and she quickly starts making mistakes. Also, when the investigators checked the woods where she claimed to have thrown the raccoon, they never found a body. Mark's vehicles were all at the house, so the investigators were curious as to how he would have gotten to Georgia. Uh, his girlfriend texted me and said that he rented a car Monday, and I'm thinking, well... She, she told you he rented a car Monday? Yeah. Okay. And he's going to Georgia something. And I told her about the cancer. And she well, goes, your dad don't have cancer. And I'm like, well, she, why she, you, she texted you and said that you, got a, you, um, you rented a car? Uh, we talked. On the phone? Yeah. Okay. When Mark's house was searched, they found his wallet, cash, and they found a medication that was prescribed to Meredith. It had been a week and a half since Cheyenne had gone into Mark's house after he supposedly left for Georgia, and she didn't seem the least bit concerned with the fact that her daughter didn't have her medication. There's no way your dad left there to leave for the rest of his life and left his wallet there and left his money in his wallet and left his car there. That just didn't happen. This stuff doesn't make, make sense, Cheyenne. Mm -hmm. If you leave your daughter's medication there, really? While Cheyenne was being questioned, investigators talked to Vicki Parker, someone who is referred to as Mark's friend and his girlfriend in the documentation regarding this case. Vicki said that she had gone to Mark's house on July 22nd and she saw Cheyenne loading stuff into the Chevy Suburban on the property. When she talked to Cheyenne, she was told then that Mark had gone to Georgia to visit family. She said she hadn't told Cheyenne that Mark had rented a car. On July 26th, she asked you, Hey, Shy, has your, has your dad got home yet? Do you remember that text? Yeah. Do you remember what you told her? Um, No. You said, not yet. I talked to one of my family members and he's doing okay up there. What does that mean? I thought he didn't get it. I thought no one knew where he was. When I reworded the question to the family member, then they go, no, that was like a while back he was up here. Really? I ain't done nothing wrong. Well, you're clearly lying to Vicky for to make her think your dad's in Georgia and everything's okay, right? Cheyenne had also lied to Vicky about talking to family so that Vicky would think that Mark was happily visiting his family in Georgia. Investigators also talked to Cody, who told them that Cheyenne had asked him some strange questions in the previous few days. 
He said that Cheyenne had asked him if a human body would fit inside of a 55-gallon tote and about how long it took maggots to break down a body. When they talked to him about his relationship with Cheyenne, he confirmed that he wasn't happy with Meredith's behavior. Did Cody give you an ultimatum? You know what that means? Did Cody, you know what the ultimatum means? Yeah. What does it mean? Like, either choose this or this. Did he give you that about your daughter? Did he say you need to tighten up with your daughter or else? Did he tell you that? Yeah. Why did he tell you that? Because she needed help and we needed to figure out what's wrong with her. So he told us that. that he told you he gave you an ultimatum because he can't deal with it. He said you better tighten up or he's gone, right? Yeah. During this time, investigators were finding more and more evidence that Mark and Meredith were no longer alive. When Cheyenne realized that her missing person story wasn't working, she admitted that they were dead, but she claimed it was self-defense. She said she had dropped Meredith off at Mark's house on July 18th in the morning, but she went back later that night. At that time, she got into an argument with her father and her pocket knife fell out of her pocket. Mark picked up the knife and attacked her, but she was able to get the knife from him and stab him in self-defense. She said that during the struggle, Meredith ran towards them and accidentally got stabbed in the throat. While Mark was on the floor, he grabbed a 22 caliber handgun, which was hers, that she claimed she normally kept under his couch. She struggled with him over the gun and managed to get it pointed at his head where the weapon fired. Then she shot him two more times in the head. She claimed that she tried to give Meredith CPR, but she still died from her wound. A single stab wound to the throat. From there, she changed into some of Mark's clothes since hers had blood on them. She claimed that she didn't remember what she did with her bloody clothes. She used a handkerchief to pick up the gun and took it home. She left the handkerchief under the seat of her car. A few days later, Cheyenne went back to the house to clean up. She purchased bug bombs to kill the flies that had gathered in the house due to the decomposing bodies. She put each body in separate plastic totes and used the Suburban to move them out of a shed that was on the property. Then she cleaned the house, took a rug from the bedroom to cover bloodstains on the floor, and covered the couch with a sheet. Cause there's no way anyone will figure that out. When investigators searched the shed, they found both Mark Weekly and Meredith Jesse's bodies in plastic totes. Here's the problem with Cheyenne's story. It's all bullshit. She had zero injuries on her body. She claimed to have fought with her father over the knife, but she had no cuts or nicks on her hands. She claimed that Mark punched her in the face, but she had no bruises. She also said that she kneed him in the balls while he was sitting on top of her, straddling her body. That's just not possible. But let's say she got really lucky. The investigators wanted to know why the couch was covered in stab marks, and Cheyenne told them that when she went back to clean up, she took a steak knife from the kitchen and stabbed the couch repeatedly in a rage. What? Then the medical examiner released a report that didn't support Cheyenne's statement in any way. It turned out that Mark was stabbed 12 times and shot in the head three times. Meredith was stabbed at least four times in the back of the neck and she was also shot once in the head. 
How are you going to try to claim your daughter died of a single accidental stab wound when she was stabbed four times and shot in the head? Authorities believe that Cheyenne had gotten an ultimatum from Cody and she didn't want him to leave her. She went to Mark's house that evening with the intention of killing him and her daughter. Of the five classifications of filicide, this is considered unwanted child filicide. This type of filicide covers parents who kill their own children as a means of benefiting in some way. It could be that they'll receive insurance money, or it could be that it will improve their current romantic relationship. In this case, Cheyenne wanted to remove Meredith from her life because her boyfriend was tired of dealing with the child's behavior. Cheyenne had asked her father previously to take custody of Meredith, but it seemed like he wasn't willing to do that on a permanent basis. Cheyenne turned to murder as her next option. At trial, the defense claimed that Cody was the one that killed Mark and Meredith because he had been abusing the girl sexually and he didn't want anyone to find out. There was no evidence that supported that claim whatsoever, and doctors and counselors who had seen Meredith prior to her death said she showed no signs of sexual abuse. Cheyenne Jesse was found guilty of two counts of murder and the prosecutor was seeking the death penalty. The jury recommended a death sentence for the murder of Meredith and a life sentence without parole for the murder of Mark, but she was ultimately sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. Cheyenne Jesse was a selfish woman who prioritized her own relationship with her boyfriend over the life of her father and her own daughter. Then she tried to ruin her boyfriend's life by claiming he had committed the murder to hide sexual abuse against Meredith. She is a monster who is willing to destroy anyone in her path to get what she wants. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.